Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Um, we'll be continuing this morning in our study of Matthew. We'll continue week after week here through Matthew. I think uh, much of what uh, we find here is fitting for this time of year. We may depart the week prior to Christmas for a special message there, but you can expect to stay here in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we'll be picking up today at the very end of chapter 14 and verse 34, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. As we make our way now into December, we're not there yet, uh, but today actually marks, today, Sunday, marks the beginning of the season of Advent. Uh, Advent is about anticipation. Advent is about preparation. Uh, the season of Advent, at least within the liturgical calendar, meaning as far as church is concerned, uh, is really about specifically preparing to celebrate both the, the nativity, which is an aspect of looking back on God coming, the Son of God, Jesus, in the flesh, being born as a man, but it's also then about looking forward to Christ's second coming. It's an effort to make this time of year about celebration, and certainly there's an aspect of tradition involved in this, but it's all geared, if done well, towards really readying our hearts for Christ, allowing Him by His Spirit to move and to work in our lives during this Christmas season. And this morning we come to a passage in Scripture that deals also with tradition, it deals with tradition, it deals with hearts that are ready. No different than the intention of Advent, we come to a passage here where Jesus himself deals with tradition and he deals with the hearts of people. In fact, I would title this message this morning, A Tale of Two Hearts. We're going to see two different examples of hearts that are very different, quite frankly, and I think we'll see how exactly that is the case. Now, here at Calvary next weekend, you'll see that Christmas will be in full swing, whether it's from the decor to even some of the music. As we begin the Advent season today officially and consider this fitting passage, I, I couldn't help but even consider some of my family's own traditions. We have many of them, no doubt, uh, like many of you this time of year. We have a lot of fun with it. Some of our traditions include watching Christmas movies, uh, many of them, in fact. We've got quite a list, and of course, every year that another Christmas movie comes out, and it's a decent one, it gets added to the list. In fact, this year we even started early, so before Thanksgiving we even watched some Christmas movies. If that offends you, well, you'll just need to get over it, right? It was, uh, it's 2020. <laughs> we just said forget about it. We're going to go ahead and watch the Christmas movies. And, and um, one of the movies we often watch, in fact, we watched it this last week, was The Grinch. Not the original, but the newer one. The kids really like the new one with the, the cartoon and the dog. And, and some of you are shaking your heads. You're like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? And um, I couldn't help, it, it, you know, sometimes as you're preparing for a message and then you see different things and you think, man, there's, there's some tie-ins here, right? And those of you familiar with the story of the Grinch, whether you're, you like the book or the first one, you'll remember one of the, the, the famous lines there written by, of course, Dr. Seuss in a way that only he can write as he says, now the Grinch hated Christmas. The whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. You see, the Grinch there in Whoville amidst so much tradition, tradition that for him turned him off, 
caused him, or even you could say prevented him from being able to really see the reason for the season, the meaning behind Christmas, had an impact on his heart. His heart was no longer right. And the fact is, as we consider the Word of God this morning, we must understand that similarly in our own lives, so much focus on tradition can cause us to miss what the real meaning of something is, the purpose behind it. And we see some of that in our passage today. Picking up this morning in chapter 14 and verse 34, only because we didn't consider these few verses at the end last week, we see here that Jesus is continuing to move and to work and to minister in powerful ways. If you'd read along with me, we'll go ahead and read those few verses and make our way into chapter 15. And it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. And then, chapter 15, verse 1, the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. We'll pause there. If you would agree with me once more as we look to His Word, Father, this is Your Word, Your Word that You exalt above Your own name. We're thankful for it here this morning. We'd pray once more, by Your Spirit, give us understanding. Help us, Lord, to apply Your Word to our lives, Lord, uh, in a necessary uh, and impactful way here this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here again, we see there at the end of chapter 14 that Jesus had crossed over now. Remember, they had been out on the water. He had walked on water. He had an encounter with the disciples. As he gets into the boat, uh, they calmed the storm. And, and then they come across the full way and continue to minister there on the other side of the sea. It's important we consider all that's been happening here. Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching powerfully. And, and many, as a result, are following Him and coming to hear and to learn from Him. His popularity, you could say even His approval rating, is at an all-time high. This is really, in many respects, and for a few weeks following, going to be the peak of Jesus' ministry in terms of popularity. He's been healing. He's been working miracles. He's fed thousands from just a few pieces of food. And he's just walked on water. He's calmed the winds on the sea. He's declared himself to be the I Am resulting in, in worship from his disciples as they come to a greater understanding truly of who he is, that he is the Son of God. And now, as we read, here come the Pharisees again. The first of two examples of different hearts that we will look at this morning. As I read, the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus and they asked him this question, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now these Pharisees had come out to see Jesus, not because they were excited about his ministry, but they were sent from Jerusalem. They came from Jerusalem in order to question him and to observe and to try and understand some of the things that were going on. And they had heard of the things that were happening. They had even seen some of it themselves. And here, all the various questions that they could have asked, as they had the attention of Jesus, think, if you will, for a moment, if you, of course, if you were to see Jesus, the first thing you're going to do is just fall on your face and you're going to worship him. But imagine if you've got 
got the opportunity to just sit there face to face with Jesus and ask any question. What might the question be that you would ask? What would you ask of Jesus? So many things I know that I've thought about. Lord, what about this? And, and what about this? And how did this happen, Lord? And how did you do this? And, and how do you feel about these things, Lord? And here they come to him, all the different options and the things they could have asked him. And, and this? This is the question that they ask him? Why do you, trans, why do you not even you, but your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Why, why don't you wash your hands the proper way before you eat? That's a dumb question. People always say, well, there's no dumb question. Sometimes there's a dumb question. That's a dumb question. You see, someone, when someone has a hard heart, when someone is spiritually blind, they always, it seems, ask the wrong question. When someone's just looking to be critical or to find fault, it seems they'll always find something to latch on to, no matter how weak it is. And that's what's going on here with the Pharisees. It's funny, I, I remember a time as I was thinking about this week, I remember a time that I was sharing the gospel with someone. And we happened to be at our house and we're sitting there at the kitchen table and man, I just started sharing, I was sharing the gospel, right? And I'm telling them all about what Jesus had done for them. And I mean, Listen, guys, this was, it was biblical, okay? This was on point. I'm thinking, man, I'm doing great here. I'm just presenting the gospel. I'm laying it out so perfectly right now. Praise the Lord, you're giving me inside me. I'm all, I almost got saved again, okay? I almost responded to my own altar call. And here I am, I lay it out for this guy, right? And I'm looking at him, and, and he's got this look on his face, and I'm thinking, yes, Lord, it's working. The Spirit's drawing him to repentance, and he's getting ready to speak, and I find myself just, I just can't hardly contain myself. I'm, I'm about to lead this guy to the Lord, and he says, where's your bathroom? And he had to go to the bathroom. And he came back, he said, I had to go so bad. He said, the whole time you were talking, I just, all I could think about was I just had to go to the bathroom. He barely heard a word that I said. And shortly after that, we began to wrap things up, and I prayed for him, and he left. And I thought, Lord, what a letdown. That was the wrong question. What I was hoping for was, tell me, tell me more. How exactly must I be saved right now? Sometimes a heart's not ready. All the questions they could have asked, and they inquire about what, what it is that the rabbis had taught, about how they were supposed to wash their hands a certain way before they ate. They were concerned about the fact that the disciples were violating tradition. And Jesus here so quickly turns the tables on them as we will see. In verse 3 we read, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. You see, these Pharisees here, they ask about breaking man's tradition. And right away, Jesus says, you want to talk about breaking man's tradition? What about you disobeying the word of God? Now, what is it that Jesus talks about here? He, he chooses to pull from the law of Moses as he's addressing them and the importance of one of the commandments which says that we should honor your father and your mother. Why is it that Jesus brought this up? Well, clearly there was something about this that they were not doing right. In fact, what this is, some of you in Scripture may have read the, the term or the word Corbin before. That's what he's referring to here. What this essentially says is, and especially as it relates to the commandment to honor your father and your mother, is, hey, child, hey, son, 
Your parents have always taken care of you. They've done a lot to make sure that you've had a good life. And as they age and as they get a little older and as they need care themselves, you need to care for them. As you honor your father and your mother, you ought to be prepared to take care of them, to provide for them, to do what it is that they had done for you. But you see what the Pharisees did, perhaps as a, uh, a lot of pressure from those in the community, they put forth a statement that said effectively, if you have resources that you could ultimately use to care for your family, what you can go ahead and do is dedicate those to God. You can say that, hey, all of this wealth that I have, I'm such a good person. I'm going to go ahead and preemptively say, this is all the Lord's. And between now and whenever it is that I die and ultimately give that money away, I can still go ahead and use it for me. But to use it on anything else, no, 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 I couldn't do that. This is set aside for the Lord. And so sorry, Mom and Dad, but everything I have that might have been used for your profit, I'm just going to go ahead and use on me. And whatever's left, I'll give to God. That's what's happening here. That's what it is that Jesus is, is referencing here. And so here as these Pharisees are standing before me saying, you want to talk about how to wash your hands? And why we're not following a tradition that was set forth by man? Why are you disobeying the word of God? Why are you not caring for your parents? And so what's happened here is that they have exalted man's words, man's tradition, their tradition, to the detriment of obedience to God's word. And such is often the case with those who are spiritually blind, that oftentimes it is our tradition that we have sought to replace something in God's Word. Even oftentimes I find that it's our traditions that replace the working of the Holy Spirit, even in our lives. The work of the Spirit, which is there to set us apart, to convict us, to work in us in order to draw us closer to Him. Oftentimes it becomes artificial. Our traditions serve to make us feel like we are set apart. Make us feel like we are closer to God. Make us feel like we're holier than perhaps what we really are. Certainly you can think of traditions that have come into the church that accomplish this work. But again, it becomes artificial. And what those traditions then do is they lead to legalism. And then legalism leads to rebellion. And Jesus has a word for these men. In verse 7 he says, Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus here refers back to the prophet Isaiah who said of, of those who outwardly seem as if they're following God, outwardly profess to know Him, but inwardly they're far from Him. Their hearts are not right. You see, Jesus, in his indictment on this group that was sent from Jerusalem, says, this is about your hearts. The very question that you've asked of me regarding my disciples reveals what's going on in your heart. You see, Jesus doesn't want our lip service. He doesn't want your outward acts of superficial religion. So often characterized by our traditions and our legalism. No, what he wants is your heart. He wants your worship. Friends, we must, not just this morning, but on a regular basis, evaluate the things that we are doing, especially the things that we think that we are doing for the Lord. And to ask ourselves, why am I doing these things? Many of the things that you are doing might be things that you should ultimately do, but to do them with the right heart. 
Even coming to church is one of those things where we can convince ourselves that just simply going is just the right thing to do. But it ends up being just a, a routine that we go through at times. Maybe we're not even really paying attention, not even allowing the Holy Spirit to move and to work on our hearts, and it's just something we've done that we check the box and we say, okay, I, I went through the motions. Or many other things in our lives that we've convinced ourselves, it's just this is what we do. I was raised to do it this way. I was taught to do it this way. But in fact, it does nothing to draw you closer to the Lord. As Jesus said in quoting Isaiah, in vain they worship me. What Jesus wants is our hearts. And he wants, he wants worship from us. But remember, worship is about us saying, here's my life, Lord. Take it and use it. Allowing Him to transform you from the inside out. And so now here, and He's done this many times, but here once again, He's called out the Pharisees in front of everyone. Certainly they weren't expecting this type of interaction. And now He wants to instruct the multitude, the rest of the people that are there with Him, it says in verse 10, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. Because they've been watching this whole thing go down, right? Many of them probably thinking, oh my, <laughs> we didn't expect to, to, to see this type of an interaction today. As we see here, the Pharisees, we, we know that they're, they're offended by this, and so people are probably feeling a little uncomfortable at the moment. And Jesus says, I want to instruct the rest of you. I want you to understand something here. He says, hear and understand Verse 11, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Jesus will explain this more in a minute at the request of his disciples, but he wants the multitude to understand that the traditions of the Pharisees do nothing for your spirituality. That it's not about clean hands for the sake of eating, though certainly hygiene is important. Jesus isn't suggesting, oh, you know, just be, just be dirty. Don't ever worry about washing your hands. No, absolutely. Wash your hands, but they went through this elaborate process, really in, in everything, but this elaborate process that made them feel better about who they were, made them feel as if they were clean because they had washed in a certain way. But what Jesus is saying here to the multitudes, he says, no, it's about a changed heart. What's inside of you? And what is inside of you will be revealed by your mouth. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And his disciples came and said to him, verse 12, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? This is one of those chapters, and you'll see even more here why in, in a moment. This is one of those chapters where I really wish we could hear all of the tone, where we could see faces, where we could observe mannerisms, because I, I kind of like to know there's so much that can be learned through that. And I'm wondering here as the disciples come to him, Jesus, what? do you know how offended they are right now? Or maybe like, bro, I don't think you should have done that, man. These guys are upset now, right? Who knows? But they're thinking, I don't know that Jesus picked up on the fact that he really offended these guys. They're a little thrown off here because it seems that Jesus really disregarded any concern for the Pharisees. And of course, they were quite offended, but Jesus answered them essentially saying, I don't care. Verse 13, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. It's very practical here as he's saying, listen, there's a bunch of blind people here leading a bunch of blind people. This isn't going to end well. But what he's saying here is I'm not really all that concerned with whether I've offended them. Why? Well, because the word of God sometimes offends. What's more offensive? The truth of the Word of God that challenges your thinking or an eternity of torment because you rejected Christ. 
Now, for us as believers, we are to be as winsome, certainly today, as we can be. It should not be our intent to go out and offend. Our approach in sharing the gospel should be winsome, but sometimes you're dealing with those who are so steeped in their religion and in their pride and their self-righteousness. And what you know you need to do is just to simply stand for the truth of the Word of God and not be concerned with the response. And what I think also Jesus gives us insight into here is that ultimately these things often have a way of working themselves out. You know, it's oftentimes the case that you find some supposed pastor who comes to the scene and has some mega ministry and those who are rooted in the Word of God can just see how wrought it is with bad doctrine and, and, and bad teaching and, and you find yourself just going, oh no, and, and right, we were rightfully grieved over that when we see that happen, but I've found that time and time and time again that the Lord just tells me, hey, just be patient. Here, blind is leading blind and they'll end up in a ditch. And never do we rejoice in that and certainly the piece that I think should grieve us the most is that, that there's sometimes sheep that are being starved in those congregations or people that are being led astray, but nevertheless, it seems that so often is the case that these things are exposed. And Jesus said, I'm not worried about offending them. And so Peter answered and said to him in verse 15, explain then this parable to us. And so Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Fact is, this wasn't really a parable. It was just Peter who was struggling to really make sense of it all. He says, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Verse 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Jesus had such a subtle way of describing a process no one wants to talk about unless you're 12. In verse 19, he says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Once again here, Jesus is not uh, condoning that we just be flippant in you know, our meal preparations. It's still a good thing that before you eat, hey, go wash your hands, use some hand sanitizer. But what, what he's recognizing here and what he's intending to address, as I, as I trust many of you are, are gathering here, is that he says, look, that's not what makes you right before God. It's not what makes you holy. It's not what makes you set apart. Those things ultimately do nothing for you if your heart isn't changed. And how do you want to know the condition of your heart? Well, what comes out of your mouth? You know, if we spend a day sometimes just listening to ourselves, if everything that you said, and dare I even say thought, although that one might be a little unfair, throughout the course of the day was recorded, and you were forced to listen to it at the end of the day, what do you think you'd feel? And there might be some days where I'd be thinking, my goodness, just a messed up dude, right? But Scripture tells us that man must give account for every careless word that is spoken. It's the things that come out of our mouths. I heard of a pastor who, he's since passed away, but earlier on in his ministry, he'd carry around a little recorder with him. You know, it was a good way of, instead of writing things down, he could just say, and you've seen people do this, remember to do this, and remember to do this. This was before the iPhone, of course. And one of the times, he forgot to stop recording, and he just put it in his coat pocket, and it continued to record throughout the rest of the day. And he had an opportunity to go back and listen to himself, the things that he said throughout the course of the day. And he said, rather plainly, I was ashamed. I knew I needed to get my heart right. Now, it wasn't that he was saying just such vulgar and terrible things throughout the course of the day, but what he also knew was that the things that were coming out of his mouth, in his perspective, certainly didn't contribute to the building of the kingdom. 
whether it was a careless word spoken here or there or an insulting word when someone wasn't around. And certainly it can go much, much further than that in revealing the heart of a man. What are the things that come out of your mouth? And so here what we need to understand is that tradition, because certainly the Pharisees here were putting their trust in it, that tradition doesn't save you. Tradition doesn't save you. Far too often, in fact, tradition anesthetizes us. The things that we do that are just sort of routine and habit can cause us to think that we're okay and that our heart is okay. Well, I go to church on the first Sunday of the month and take communion, and boy, I sure appreciate it when I do. I'm okay. No, that does nothing for you if it's not allowing the Lord to transform your heart. He wants our worship. He wants our hearts. He wants us to throw our lives onto that altar of sacrifice and to say, I'm yours. Change me. Transform me. Don't just conform me to the pattern of this world, but transform me. Change me. He wants us to, to know Him more. As Paul declared of everything that he had accomplished in his life, that he said it was, it was as dung. It was as excrement. It meant nothing. All of his accomplishments, his supposed accomplishments, meant nothing compared to knowing Him and to knowing Him more, and to know his, the power of His resurrection, and to be conformed to His suffering, to know His suffering too. That should be our aim, to know Him. When we truly know Him, that informs, as we saw last week in the account of the disciples there as they encountered Him on the water, to know Him. That informs and directs our worship. And so it goes from there then, as Jesus in verse 21, it says that He went out from there and He departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. There's a few things, or a couple things at least here, for us to consider. It says that Jesus went out from this place, which is significant. Because not only did Jesus here and going to Tyre and Sidon leave uh, the area physically, he left the area of, of, of what is really Israel and he went beyond the borders, but it also seems to some degree here he left in a spiritual sense. Jesus goes from Israel and the people that he came to minister to first to an area now outside of Israel and to begin to minister to the Gentiles. Because of religion and because of tradition and because of spiritual blindness, many were unable to receive Jesus. And now he travels some 50 to 60 miles to what is modern-day Lebanon to have an encounter with a Gentile woman a Canaanite, as Scripture refers to her. And this is significant. We read here in verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Matthew refers to this woman as of Canaan. And this is a way of communicating uh, essentially her race, her religion, and really her status, which at one time was really that she's an enemy of Israel. Matthew was intentional in using this term here so that we could understand the significance of what it was that Jesus was doing. And so nevertheless, though she's a Gentile, though she's in every way really apart from Israel, and she's really an enemy of them, historically speaking, here she's crying out to Jesus. And she's calling Him the Son of David, declaring what it is that His disciples had declared there out on the water as they heard Him say, I am is here. Jesus can't get those who are supposedly spending their lives in anticipation of the Messiah to see who He is. But this outsider declares it. And so we have, of course, here an example of the second type of heart. Now why is she seeking Jesus? Really, it's desperation. 
It's desperation that she's coming to him. It's regarding her daughter. And so we also have here a great parent. This is an example of a wonderful parent of a good mom who's desperate for healing for her daughter. And she knows that there is nothing that can be done except to throw herself at the mercy of Jesus. That's a wonderful place for one's heart to be. Not rooted in tradition, not rooted in self-righteousness and self-centeredness and all of those other things, but rather at a place of, I have nothing else that I can do. And we bring ourselves to Jesus and cry out for mercy. Now it's interesting here in verse 23 it says, but he answered her not a word. This might seem quite odd. Here is this woman's crying out to him and Jesus doesn't respond and in effect he ignores her here. And so admittedly we're about to witness an interaction between this woman and Jesus that seems out of character. But Jesus knows what he is doing. The woman cries out to Jesus, but Jesus here ignores her and then the disciples, they urge Jesus saying, send her away. Send her away, for she cries out after us. The disciples are saying, this this woman is not of us. She's annoying us. Send her away, Jesus. They're thinking, get rid of her. Because in their minds, she is like all Gentiles, as they would refer to her as a wild dog. That's how they would refer to Gentiles, a, a wild dog, not worthy to be around them. But Jesus responds in verse 24, finally, as this woman continues to cry out, he answers and says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now rest assured there is purpose in all of this as Jesus is sort of saying to this woman, I didn't really come here for you. And and more so certainly here for the disciples that Jesus is is really, he's, he's got a way of communicating here where he's drawing her in and he's drawing the disciples in. As he kind of says, I'm here for the chosen people of Israel. And this is the point probably where the disciples are thinking, well, amen, yeah, that's right. You should be saying this, Jesus. You should be sort of pushing her away. But she comes again, verse 25, and she worships Him saying, Lord, help me. And so what we see from this woman is there's persistence in prayer. This is supplication. She's crying out to Him, Lord, help me. But He answers her and says in verse 26, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, this is where a lot of people get confused, thinking, Jesus is just being downright rude here and disrespectful. What's gotten into him? Calling this woman a dog. Now, here, once again, as I mentioned earlier, we don't have the benefit here of knowing tone. We don't have the benefit of seeing the mannerisms here, how it is that he's engaging with her. Now, I had mentioned that most of the Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs, wild dogs. And it would seem Jesus has sort of adopted the same view and the vernacular here. But there's a distinction in the word that he uses, and remember, he does it with a purpose. Because what Jesus refers to here is he says little dog is in fact a term that doesn't mean wild dog, but rather means little puppy, which belongs in the house. Now, for us, we could look at this and say, that's just kind of strange here. But remember, Jesus is doing something here. And it's not just for the sake of the woman. Here, because of his fellowship with God the Father, he knows what's happening here with this woman. He's going to continue to engage her. Remember here, he's also instructing the disciples. Now the disciples are probably thinking again, amen, that's right, Jesus, send her away, she's just a dog, Uh, get her out of here. But Jesus is in fact drawing this woman in to his conversation and he's drawing the disciples in as well. Now Jesus, as he says to this woman, why would I take from the plate of children and give food to the dog? He's He's not referring here to this woman the way that others have, but rather he's used this term here and that's got a click in her thinking. Because we see that she goes along in the conversation. She sort of follows this. 
as Jesus sort of gives this open door and welcomes her to continue this conversation so that the disciples can learn from this encounter. And so this woman, so full of faith, so persistent, so determined to seek healing for her daughter, engages in this ongoing banter as she's picking up here and she responds with such wit in verse 27 as she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Anybody have a dog? If you have a dog, you know exactly what we're talking about unless you're disciplined in kenneling the dog during every meal or your dog is just so well-trained it just sits perfectly over in the corner and just waits. We have another name for our dog. It's called Hoover because, man, he can come in and he can just start and just hitting the ground, right? He knows there's stuff under that table. So even if we put him in his kennel afterwards, he's like, I got to go clean up, people. If there was anything missed, he's going to find it, right? What she's saying here is, I don't care if Israel is first. Give them whatever you want, whatever you came in terms of Israel, whatever you came for for them, do it. I'm not asking you to take anything from them. But like a house puppy, yes, I'm under the table. And I'll take anything I can get. I'll take whatever I can get. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You see, this woman was in no way, shape, or form proud or self-righteous. Her heart was right. She was willing to take whatever she could get from Jesus. Differently than we sang this morning, which is an appropriate song for us to sing, if it's sung with the right heart in the same manner, nothing else, Lord. Nothing else will do. Just you. That's all I need. That's all I want, Lord Jesus, is you. Verse 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Her persistence in prayer, her demonstration of faith, resulted in immediate healing for her daughter. And you see, this woman's heart was right. Contrast that with the Pharisees, right? And now consider, not only do we see a different heart than that of the Pharisees, one that were proud, steeped in tradition, they were self-righteous, but here this woman's saying, "I I don't care about any of it. All I want is you, Jesus. And that's all, that's all I need. That's the only thing that will do. And now the disciples have seen all of this, right? Jesus, remember, he's teaching his disciples. He's preparing them for what's going to be ahead. And, and as far as his disciples are concerned now, what, what, what are they seeing? Well, consider some of the other passages of Scripture that help us to understand what they learned. Romans chapter 2, verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Or in Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Or in Romans, in chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek. You see, contrasted for us in this chapter are two types of hearts. One rooted in man's tradition, a heart that exalts the word of man over the word of God, and it's a heart that results in blindness and superficial religion. We must also be careful that we don't allow tradition to lead us astray. The other heart was one that defied tradition, that saw through it all to the true meaning behind the law and behind the tradition. Of course, revisiting our friend the Grinch from earlier, as he comes to a greater understanding of Christmas, as he breaks through all the tradition that has deterred him up until that point, the narrator declares, and what happened then? 
Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. There's some truth in our children's stories that we consider these times of year. There are so many that are still bound to their traditions. And as a result, they're in blindness. But Our Lady from Canaan, she in humility and in desperation and dependence, she comes to Jesus, seeing Him for who He is. And in faith and in belief, she trusts Him to work. And the question, as always, that we need to ask ourselves when we're presented with these two things is which one are we? But I would submit to you this morning that Guys, right now, as much as ever before, right now in our world and in our country, here and especially in this Christmas season, this season of Advent, we need hearts that are transformed. We don't need hearts that are conformed to this world. We don't need cleaner hands and superficial religion. What we need is authentic, supernatural relationships and transformed hearts. The world today needs the church the church needs more transformation. How does it happen? I'd invite you to consider these other passages of Scripture here as we close. In Deuteronomy in chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, we read, And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil, In Ezekiel, in chapter 36, the prophet tells us there in verses 25 through 27, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You see, that's a key understanding there that we must have, that it's His Spirit within us that gives us a new heart, a changed heart, a transformed heart, able to walk in His ways. And if we do that, as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Or the Apostle Paul in Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, and I can't help but read the rest of this for us here, not just that portion, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's what our world needs today. A church full of people with transformed hearts, ready to love those around them. Let's be the latter. Let's be like the woman who in absolute dependence on Christ and Christ alone are able to minister to this lost and dying world. Let's pray. Father, we just want you, and Lord, there's going to be times throughout today, even perhaps from when we wake up tomorrow or other days, Lord, where we're going to want some other things. And we're going to kind of wander away. We're going to get distracted. And we're going to think, Lord, that some of the things that we do, the traditions, the routines, Lord, are enough. Lord, remind us that they're not. But also that you're gracious. And so, Lord, draw us back to a place right before you, right at your feet, where we'd say, yes, Lord, you're it. You're all I need. You're all I want. Lord, continue to solidify that truth within our hearts and our minds. 
Lord Jesus, we love you. We certainly ask that as our good shepherd that you give before us today, lead and guide us. Be with each of these here, Lord, as they follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.